Who do you say that I am? These six words spoken by Jesus have the capacity to change your life and they should affect how you live every single moment of every single day. We hear these words in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, after the section of scripture where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus withdraws from the crowds and we read this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others uh, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Now your answer to this question is incredibly important. Who is Jesus? And this is the reason that the author of Luke actually wrote this letter or wrote this book. In Luke chapter one, verses one to four, uh, the author says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that they have, that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. In other words, Luke says, you know, there are a lot of people talking about who Jesus is and, you know, what he's done as they witnessed it. Because Jesus is so important and because of what he's saying about life and the world is so important, I myself decided to find out the truth. And I am writing you the truth so that you, you and I, may know for certain who Jesus is and what to believe. Now, I went to Bible college in Peterborough, and my wife went to Trent University, which is also in Peterborough. And <clears throat> at Trent, there was this club for Christian students. And it served as a small group for students who wanted to connect and do a Bible study. And occasionally they would hold uh, church services on the university grounds. And they had events to reach out to other students and answer any questions that other students may have about faith and about Christianity and about what Christians believe. And they had this one really interesting outreach event that they did. They set up a table in the main courtyard of the university and they had a picture of a tree on it. And they had a note that said, if Jesus or the Christian God was this tree, draw yourself in relation to him. And people could draw or express themselves however they wanted. And this was a chance to get people thinking and provide a safe place for them to start asking questions about what they believe. Now, some people, you know, they had pretty interesting responses. Um, some people drew themselves hugging the tree because they loved Jesus and they had a good relationship with God. Uh, some people drew themselves way off on the side of the page, as far away from the tree as possible, as they felt that they were distant from God for some reason or they didn't want to be involved with him. And there was also some pretty creative images of people who drew themselves flying above the tree as they thought they were above or too good or too smart or too whatever for God. And then there was a couple of people who drew themselves with axes trying to cut down the tree. Now what this exercise did, it was to get people out of their routine, out of their comfort zone, and to get them thinking about this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And for many of these students, this was their first interaction with the Christian faith, and it caused them to stop and really think about what they believe. Now, Luke wrote this letter because there were a lot of people who had different opinions about who Jesus was. And as we've been walking through this series, we have seen the disciples, the crowds, the religious elite, all question Jesus' identity and question his authority by saying, 
who is this man? Now, as Jesus' popularity continued to grow, even the governing officials were wrestling with this question about Jesus, about Jesus' identity. And we read in Luke chapter 9, verses 7 to 9, the words that Herod had, or the questions that Herod had. Luke records, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And Herod tried to see Jesus. Now Jesus' teaching and his actions, they it forced people to pay attention to him. And still to this day, it forces people to question and investigate Jesus. People to this day have questioned if Jesus was you know, crazy, if he was a good teacher or a prophet, or maybe even something more. Jesus' actions have taught us that his identity can't be ignored. But what the book of Luke teaches us and what Jesus himself teaches us is that there's actually only one correct answer to this question. In Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, Jesus' closest friends and followers finally begin to put it all together. And as I mentioned earlier, the entire book of Luke is written to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? so that we might believe in, his, in Jesus and in his identity. Thankfully, everything Jesus does and teaches reveals who he is. So let's look at the last four weeks, the last four sermons that we've been walking through. Four weeks ago in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, we read about Jesus and his disciples being caught out in the middle of a, uh, the sea as a violent storm hits their boats. And in response to the weather, in response to the boat sinking and the disciples' panic, who were all trained fishermen and sailors, Jesus speaks to the storms and they subside. Jesus speaks and the winds and the waves obey him. His followers are in shock. And in this section of scripture, we learn that Jesus has the power over creation. And right after that event in Luke chapter eight, verses 26 to 39, they land on the shores and they're confronted with a man filled with demons. These demons make it impossible for this man to live a normal life. People have tried to subdue him, even by locking him up with chains, but nothing has helped to restore this man. In this section, um, or in this situation, Jesus speaks and the demons are cast out and the man is restored to health and he's restored back to society. Jesus speaks and the demons and the spirits obey him. And his followers and all of the surrounding villages are in shock. And in this section of scripture, we learn that Jesus has the power over the spiritual realm. And then again, next, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56, Jesus heads into the villages and he has a really special interaction with two women. Uh, the one is an adult woman plagued for years by a sickness or a disease that forced her out of the town and in, into isolation. In faith, she reaches out and she touches Jesus' clothes and she is restored. And not just restored in health, but also brought back into her community. And next, Jesus visits a young girl who's sick and has been declared dead by those watching over her. And they try to dismiss Jesus. But Jesus, he goes in and he takes her by the hand and he says, my child, get up. And scripture says at once, at once she got up. Jesus speaks and death and disease vanish. His followers and all the ones who are present with them, they're in shock. And in this section of scripture, we learn that Jesus has power over death and disease. And then last week, we read in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17, where Jesus is speaking to 5,000 men plus women and children. And after teaching the people, you know, they begin to get hungry, but the disciples have nothing to meet the needs of the crowds. 
And in response to the needs surrounding him, Jesus takes the small amount of food that they have, he prays over it, he divides it among the crowd so that everyone is satisfied and they actually have more left over than they started with. Jesus speaks and he prays over the little to provide for the needs of the masses. And his followers and everyone who's present, they're all in shock. And in this section of scripture, we learn that Jesus has the power over creation and he can provide everything we need. Now, these four passages show the extent of Jesus' authority over nature, over demons, over disease, and even over death. And with just a word, everything changes. The disciples have been following Jesus. They've been listening. They've been learning. They've been watching what he has done. And they have heard Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. They had seen Jesus demonstrate his power over demons in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. They've seen him heal people, raise people back to life in Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17, and even forgive sins, uh, which is something that only God can do. And these miracles, these teachings, and these truth claims, they force you to pay attention to the person of Jesus, and they challenge you with the question, who do you say that I am? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? What common man can do all these things? And through his actions in Luke, Jesus is revealing his identity. He is God in the flesh. And after all of these miracles and teaching, Jesus turns to his closest followers and he asks them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the spokesperson of the disciples, he answered, you are Christ of God. And finally, finally, after nine chapters, we're nine chapters into the book of Luke, the disciples are starting to understand who Jesus is. And they don't have the full picture yet. We're going to get into that over the coming weeks but they are starting to realize the scope of Jesus' ministry and his identity. Jesus' identity as the Christ, you know, it, it's first confessed in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verses 11, by the angels, and then by the gospel narrator in Luke chapter 2, verses 26, um, by demons in Luke chapter 4, verses 41, and then by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 4, verses 18. And this is the first time that it's finally confessed by the twelve. And many people have opinions about who Jesus is, but in the midst of the opinions, Peter, on behalf of the disciples, boldly declares the identity of who Jesus is. He isn't just a teacher or a prophet. He isn't John the Baptist back from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. And there's only right answer. That is the only right answer. To call Jesus anything else would go against all of the things that he has said and against all the miracles that he has performed. And I love that the disciples in this time, intimate time gathered with Jesus are the first people to begin to understand who Jesus is. After all that they've seen and all that they've experienced with Jesus and with all the time they've spent with him, they're finally beginning to understand who he is and why he's here. And as I start to wrap up today, uh, what do we learn from Luke chapter 9 verses 18 to 20? We learn that Jesus' identity does not leave room for us to acknowledge him as anything other than God. And I have found, you know, as I've been going through life, I have found the deepest theological and relational questions when I'm in the midst of doing work. Um, when I was working as a dishwasher and line cook, I was trying to pay for Bible college. The head chef, he's an atheist and not a nice guy. He avoided HR complaints by saying, I'm not racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever. I hate everyone equally. And I don't say that to insult him at all. Once I realized that his insults and his banter were meant in love, we actually got along really well. I say all that to, to help us understand um, that most faith discussions, they don't happen when all the stars align and the perfect moment has come. 
These conversations happen in the midst of a regular workday, in the midst of regular life. Now with this particular chef, he often teased me and questioned me about my beliefs about God. He would challenge me with questions and we would debate back and forth. Um, and at one point, I finally asked him what he believed about who Jesus is and about what the Bible says. His stance was that Jesus was a good teacher and he was likely a physician or a doctor who was way ahead of his time, that Jesus could heal people um, by doing quick little medical things that no one else knew how to do. And then because that he got a great following and you know people were trying to do things with them, that eventually got him killed. And it's, it was an interesting explanation but I think it fails in one, one way. Uh, Jesus didn't get killed just because he was popular. He got killed because he was claiming to be God. And if someone is walking around claiming to be God, but isn't, then that person is either crazy or they are doing it for their own personal corrupt reasons to get fame and power. Uh, neither of those point to Jesus being just a good man. Jesus' claims do not leave room for us to acknowledge him as anything other than God. C.S. Lewis has a good quote to explain this more clearly. Uh, it's out of his book, Mere Christianity. He says, <clears throat> I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is mere... A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that choice open to us, and he did not intend to. Jesus' claims do not leave any room for us to acknowledge him as anything other than God. And if Jesus claims <clears throat> don't leave any room for us to acknowledge his, him as anything other than God, then Jesus' identity will change how we live our lives. If he is God in the flesh, then this becomes the most important thing we'll ever hear about. He becomes the most important person to have ever existed, and our desire should be to understand more about who this Jesus person is and what he taught. And naturally, our priorities should shift to understanding why he's here and what he came to accomplish and how that affects each and every one of us. And if our lives are not changed, if our focus doesn't shift, then that, you know, maybe that's a sign that we either don't fully understand what Jesus is saying, or maybe that's a sign that we don't actually believe what he's saying. But as I mentioned before, Jesus doesn't give us the luxury to just ignore him or dismiss him as just another man. He's either God in the flesh or he's a liar. And this decision, it will affect the rest of our lives as we learn from Jesus and continue to learn from him or we dismiss him. And this decision is important because Jesus' identity changes our identity. In the four passages that we've been looking at in Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9, you'll notice some important patterns. When Jesus speaks, he has the authority to change everything. Jesus' words and actions bring peace to chaos. They restore people's lives, not just through physical or psychological or spiritual healing, but by bringing people back into 
community with God and into their local community. This is most clearly shown in Jesus' work on the cross, which was God's ultimate restoration plan for humanity. Each and every one of us has been affected by sin and by imperfection. None of us can stand before a perfect God because none of us are perfect. And each and every one of us has done something wrong or has not done something that we know that we should have done. And Jesus came to this earth to restore the earth, to heal the broken, to free those in captivity to demonic and spiritual and physical oppression. But most importantly, Jesus came to bring us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf so that everyone who would trust Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior would be saved and brought back into relationship with God. We no longer have to work to be good enough to be accepted. We no longer have to live in the shame of the things that we've done in the past. We no longer have to run and hide from God in fear that he's going to punish us. Because of Jesus, we are restored. Right now, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you have been restored. You just need to trust Jesus as the one who has saved you and as the Lord or the boss of your life. Now, this is a huge decision and it's a scary one. And I don't know your specific situation, but I do know that the same Jesus that died for my mistakes is the same Jesus that rose from the grave three days later. Jesus, God, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has authority over all of creation, over sickness and disease, and even over life itself. And he has demonstrated that in scripture and he still has authority to this day as Jesus heals and restores miraculously. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're putting your faith and your allegiance in the God who has the power to miraculously change your life and the one who loves you more than you can ever imagine. The same God uh, shares that he will walk beside us, he'll encourage us, he'll restore us and empower us through the Holy Spirit and through the local church, the people around you. And he doesn't leave us to walk through this life on our own. So if you're, you know, you're still uncertain, you're continuing to wrestle with your doubts, I invite you to keep walking beside us as we investigate Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I would also challenge you to look into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, to learn more about who Jesus is and his great love for you. And also, if you have any questions or concerns, please, please reach out to the church. Reach out to us. We would love to connect with you and we would love to help you any way that we can. That's the reason why we're here. Now, if you're listening and you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus right now, I want to pray with you. And uh, after the prayer, I want to invite you to connect with our church um, so that we can walk beside you and we can equip you and do everything we can to help you as you continue to investigate Jesus. Why don't I pray for you? Jesus, we thank you uh, that you do not hide who you are. You are God in the flesh and you have come so that we can be forgiven and come back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I pray that you would just please forgive me. You come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now help me to live for you for the rest of my life as I continue to follow you and learn from you. And Lord, please continue to speak to me, to walk beside me, to encourage me, and to bring me closer to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Thank you for joining us.